Hey, thank you guys. Well, happy Easter, everybody. You know, I, re- I remember when I lived in Chicago, I, I, just, I only lived a few blocks away from Holy Name Cathedral, which is this big cathedral in, in Chicago. Anybody ever been to Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago? Anybody? No? It has these giant br- like brass doors that look like the bark of a redwood, and, and there's these secret like door handles on the inside where when, when you just barely touch them, then the doors like swing open silently like the Blues Brothers, um, <laughs> if anybody ever, ever seen the movie. But uh, I remember going to church there one time, and... Um, and I'm not Catholic, and I've never been Catholic, and uh, it was kind of funny because like, everybody there was really dialed in on when they were supposed to sit down, when they were supposed to stand up, when they were supposed to do something, and I was always like the lone man out, like everybody's sitting down, and I was like, oh, okay, and then I'd have to sit down, <laughs> or like everybody's standing up, or everybody's kneeling, and I was always about a few seconds behind, which doesn't surprise a lot of you. Um, but the reason why I tell this story is because sometimes if you're new to church, and if you're, if you're here this morning and you haven't been in church, like... Sometimes it's a little bit awkward because you don't know the traditions and you don't know, you know, what's going on. Like, I can, I'm with you on that. Uh, but there's this tradition in the Christian church where people, like, a person like in my position would say, Christ is risen, and then the whole congregation would respond, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to do that, but I'm just giving you the heads up so that you don't, <laughs> you don't have the holy name experience like I did and be like, wow, I just totally didn't do that. But, and if you don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead, feel free not to respond. Like, that's okay, too. And we're going to talk about that um, this morning. So Christ is risen. risen All right. Thank you. So hope that wasn't too traumatic for any of you. I'm still... <laughs> I'm still scarred by Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago. <laughs> you know, this morning we're going to be uh, taking a break from our study in the Gospel of John. And um, last week we were looking at John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, Jesus made this statement. He says, even as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Like Jesus had made this great claim that we saw a couple weeks or just last week that he has authority to give life. You know, and the thing that we celebrate today, the resurrection from the dead, is Jesus' proof that those weren't just empty words. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is, I should have turned my Bible there before I got up here, um, which is the longest passage in the, in the Bible about the future resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's, I think it's 58 verses. We'll be covering every single one of them in depth this week, and so be here till Monday. No, um... And we're going to be looking at the first 26 verses and really kind of focusing on verses 12 through 26 for the most part. But our text this morning is going to break out into, into in, in, in it, Paul talks about the death of death, that death has come to an end. And that's what we sang about today. We've talked about the cross and the resurrection and through those things uh, that Jesus has overthrown death forever. And our text is really going to break, be breaking out into three sections in verses 1 through 11. Um, the Apostle Paul talks about what's really important of all the things you need to know. What's really important, verses 1 through 11, verses 12 through 19, what if these things aren't true? And he's specifically talking about the resurrection. If, if the resurrection isn't true, I was reading something by, I always get these two guys confused. I should have written it down. Hawkins and Dawkins. Uh, those are the two guys. But one of them said, Richard, uh, Richard Dawkins? I think he's the one. What was the other guy's first name? Hawking. David Hawking. Yeah, it was Richard. It was the Richard guy. He says, like, people should give up the vain and empty hope of a second life, is one of the things that he had said. And, um, you know, and what if these things aren't true? 
the Apostle Paul, if they aren't true, like Paul, Paul would tend to agree with him um, if they aren't true. And then verses 20 through 26, like Paul speaks from his own experience and he testifies that these things are true. And so um, please stand with me and I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 11 this morning and then we'll pray and then we'll get into our study. This is God's word about, um, about his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and after that to more than 500 brethren at one time, many of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as if it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am, who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... Um, this day that we have on the calendar every year to remember the resurrection of your son, um, how, he, how he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has the authority to grant life to whoever he wishes. And Father, I just ask that you would empower me by your spirit to speak clearly of that resurrection in a way that would transform our hearts and, and our minds and, and capture our desires so that we would live changed lives because of it. And um, Father, I just pray for our kids downstairs as they're learning, too, that you can empower the Sunday school teachers to, um, to communicate that, those same truths to them um, so that Jesus could receive the glory that he deserves. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. That was my grandson. Pretty cute. So, amen, Everett. <laughs> yeah, I'm completely thrown off now. So... Verse 1, verse 1. So, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul starts off in verse 1, and, and he says, he, he makes known to you this gospel that he preached to you. And he's not going to define our gospel until we get a little bit later on in the text. Um, but he says here in verse, look what he says in verse um, 3. This is where he, he, he defines what this gospel is. We'll come back to verses 1 and 2. But look what he says in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. He says, like, of all the things you need to know, of all the things that I could be communicating to you, this thing I'm about to tell you is of first importance. It has primary, it should have primary billing in your mind. You know, and, and if, you, if you're familiar with the, the Church of Corinth, and you know, the Church of Corinth, if you're a Bible study person, if you read the Bible, the Church of Corinth is pretty famous in the New Testament for being the church that struggled with the most things. Like, they lived in a city that when I taught through 1 Corinthians, I described Corinth as, as a mix of, of like, Wall Street, um, the Las Vegas Strip, and Hollywood Boulevard all cooked together. And, and so they struggled with prosperity. They struggled with, like, like over-sexualized society. They struggled with, like, entertainment. They struggled with division. They had all these struggles, and, and this church loved Jesus, and they were trying to figure out, how do we walk in this path of following Jesus amidst 
a world like that. I loved when Grant was here like a month ago or whenever that was, when he was like, can you imagine what that would even be like, right? And he was joking. I didn't catch his humor at first, but the reality is, is that Corinth is probably not unlike the city we live in today. And the church was struggling with how do we follow Christ? And they had asked Paul a whole bunch of questions on, on how to handle it. And, and as he closes this book, he says, of all the things you need to remember, this is of first importance. And then he says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He received it from the Lord, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's defining this gospel message that, that we'll talk about in just a minute from verses 1 and 2. He's defining this gospel message. And the first thing he says is that um, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, if you, if you doubt the Bible, like, uh, this is an interesting thing that Paul's asserting here. He's like, this plan of the, of the Messiah coming and dying in our place and bearing the load of our sin and our guilt and our corruption and our iniquity and all these things, it was spoken about way before he even came. In fact, if you, we, if you were here for our Good Friday service, we read this passage from Isaiah 53. We opened, our, opened the service with Isaiah 53, and it says this in verses 4 through 6 prophesying 700 years before Jesus came about what Jesus would accomplish. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Think about that for a second. You know, he says that, that he, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. You know, we're talking about the resurrection of the dead and the death of death. And the, like death is kind of the ultimate expression of this curse that's fallen over the world. And with that curse that's fallen into, over the world because of our, of our rebellion against God is every sorrow and every grief and every sickness. And what the, the prophet is telling us is that Jesus is the one who bears that. He's the one that carries away our sorrows. He's the one that, he goes on, was pierced through for our transgressions. Transgressions are those things that you knowingly do in disobedience to, the God, to God. Anybody ever done anything knowingly in disobedience to God? <laughs> Liars. Um, <laughs> my, both of my hands are up, right? You just, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, you just did, just to be clear. You've made it all the way till today. <laughs> I'm out of control. Um, transgressions are those things that we knowingly do, and it says that he was pierced through for those things. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him by his scourging, by the, by the, the whipping on his back, we were healed. Then it talks about our iniquities, he was crushed for our iniquities. 
Iniquities are all those things that make you unclean and unworthy and unable to stand like before God in his holiness. All of those things that lurk in our, each of our hearts and in our minds that we just hope not, all the people sitting around you don't find out about. He was crushed for those things. What Paul is saying is like the, from beginning to end, the, the pages of Scripture were speaking of, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that he was, he was crucified for our sins so that he could carry them away, so that we could be set free. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says this. He says, um, verse 4, and he was buried. Like, that's an important fact. Like, Jesus was buried. They shut the door of the tomb. Um, it was a, like it was medically verified that he was dead. And like I said last week, he wasn't just almost dead or mostly dead. He was all dead. And he was buried in a tomb. And then it says this. This is what we celebrate today. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Like the scriptures prophesied that the suffering Messiah that would come wouldn't stay in the grave and that death could not keep him down. In fact, we see that right here in Isaiah 53. Um, we read this on, on Good Friday too, Isaiah 53.10. Look what it says. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Now listen to this. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, like if Jesus was willing to die to bear the sin and guilt of humanity, what does it say? He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. How do you get crushed and offer yourself as a guilt offering and be killed and yet see your like descendants and, and have your days prolonged? It's through the resurrection of the dead. Like the scriptures talk over and over again from it being pictured in Jonah to it being prophesied throughout the pages of the scriptures and the Psalms like, like Jesus would rise from the dead. You know, and then Paul goes into it here. He says, uh, starting in, I mean, all the way through verses 5 through 11, and he says, and there's a whole bunch of eyewitnesses to this fact. There was Cephas, then there was the 12, there's, there's more than 500 at one time. Like, this is a verifiable historic fact. And then Paul says, and even me, who am not even worthy to be an apostle of God because I persecuted the church, like, God in his grace appeared to me. Paul says, I saw him. You know, what Paul is telling him here is that this issue of first importance, what really, really matters, and he boils it down to guess what? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the heart of the gospel message. Look what he says then in verses 1 and 2. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, that's what I just talked about, which I preached to you, which also, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are, be, are, are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. What Paul is saying is the first thing is like, this is great what we celebrate today. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the heart of the gospel, like the very foundation of the Christian faith that it stands upon. In fact, this morning, somebody gave me some artwork. It's pretty cool. I didn't even set her up to do this. The cross and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, the foundations of the Christian faith. These are going to be auctioned off at, um, for... <laughs> 
for a youth group fundraiser. No. Um, <laughs> it's the very foundation of the Christian faith, the cross and resurrection. And it says, by which you received it. It's great what we celebrate here, but unless you receive it, unless you take it into your heart, unless you let it like take root in your life, unless you like put your full confidence and reliance upon Jesus' life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and everything that he accomplished for the um, that we couldn't accomplish, that he that he carried off your guilt and your iniquity and your transgression. Like this, this message means nothing to you. It needs to be received if by it you're going to be saved. You know, this idea of salvation is interesting because we probably don't even, uh, a lot of people that don't know Jesus Christ probably don't even realize that they need to be saved from something. But there's, there's this proof, and if that's you, like, I mean, just submit something to you. The fact that death rules over this world and that every single one of us is going to face that day according to the scriptures, is evidence that this world is under the curse of sin, that we're all guilty of sin, and that we need salvation from that, and we need Christ who bears our sin for us. Apart from that, we got nothing. Apart from that, we're left on our own to try to face that day and everything that comes after it. If you don't think you need salvation... Like, death is this constant reminder that, that, yes, indeed, we are under the tyranny of sin, and yes, indeed, we do need salvation. It says, in which you also stand, verse 2. Oh, no, verse 1. In which you also stand. The Corinthian church was being blown around by all sorts of things. And he says, you know what, Corinthian church, of first importance, the thing that is going to cause you to stand is living your life in light of the implications and the applications of everything that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us. In fact, it's really interesting. I love the book of 1 Corinthians because it's such an unusual book because Paul begins the book of 1 Corinthians with this long kind of conversation about the cross. He starts, I think it's Chapter 1, verse 18, something like that. He says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He starts off with this message that the cross of Jesus Christ and the message of his crucifixion and his resurrection is, is the power of God for salvation. And then he says, at the very end, he, he talks about the resurrection. So this book is anchored in the cross and the resurrection. And all of the issues that he talks about in between, which were a lot Every single one of those, he ties back to one or both of those issues. If you want to know how to like stand amidst the, the pressures of this world, it's by continuing to hold fast the truth of the gospel message and letting the, the implications and applications of it work through every area of your life. And we have no other hope, because look what he says. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believe in vain. If you give up on the gospel message, if you don't believe it, like then then none of this that we celebrate today is 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 gonna matter. And you're still facing that like death still has its grip on you if you hold fast. 
you know, as Paul then continues to speak, he, he asks this question. Look what he says in verse 12. It's kind of our second point. Now, if Christ has preached that he has risen from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's like, how is it that people don't believe in the resurrection? Well, and I think it should make sense to us, right? Like, death is such a normal part of, like, actually, we feel like death is is such a normal part of the rhythm of this world that it's just the way things are, right? It's the circle of life, hakuna matata, whatever, right? (laughs) It's not the way it's supposed to be. Anytime, like, like in 2019, both of my parents died, and I, I was there as they passed away. And it is so obvious when, you, when you're there in that moment, like, this is not the way things are supposed to be. But I think we often deceive ourselves into saying, like, well, this life is really all that there is. People live, they get old, they die. And it shouldn't surprise us that people don't believe in the resurrection because we can't see beyond that, like, horizon. But Paul asks this question. How is it that some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. What he says is like, if there is no resurrection of the dead for us, if this life is all that there is for us, then this life is all that there was for Jesus. And he died and is still in the ground. And then he goes on and he makes some conclusions. If Christ does, isn't raised, what are some of the conclusions that he draws? Um, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we witness against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. What Paul's saying is like, if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, then my preaching is vain. Like this is just empty religious drivel. Your faith is vain. Like, everything that you believe in, that you put your confidence in, like if you're a Christian that you hope in, like, that's just empty. And he says, even worse than that, like, I've proven to be a a false witness against God. I've been lying about what God has done to all of you. And guess what? You sang it this morning, so you've lied about what God has done too. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead. And he comes up with a second, kind of a second uh, problem, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Without the resurrection of the dead, the scriptures say that there is no proof that Christ did what he said he would do, that he had the authority to accomplish what he did, and you're still in your sins. It's an interesting expression, in your sins. You know, if you look at kind of how Paul speaks about sin through the book of 1 Corinthians, what he's saying is like, if the, if the resurrection isn't true, then you're simply defined by, by all of those things that you don't, like, that have shaped you. You're defined by this curse that's fallen over the world. You're defined by your transgressions. You're defined by your iniquities. You're being shaped by those things. And no matter, like, how much you might dress it up, like, you're just on your own. If the resurrection isn't true and the new life that Christ promises isn't true, you're just still in your sins and death still has its grip on you and, and you have no hope beyond the grave. In fact, that's what he says. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Like they're just dead and maybe worse than that. 
If Christ isn't raised, you're still in your sins and you still bear its burden. Verse 19, if you have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Like if the resurrection isn't true, like this life of following Christ is a pitiable, like life that's just empty and vain. Now you might be thinking to yourself like, Okay, Steve, like, I don't know why you're spending time on this because we're obviously on the whole resurrection team, right? Like, we obviously are the ones that believe it, and I'm not saying that everybody here, like, believes it. Maybe you're just here because family drug you here, and I'm glad you're here. But you're probably thinking to yourself, like, oh, we all believe in the resurrection, right? Everybody said he's risen indeed. But I don't want you to miss something here. Like, Paul's not writing about people outside the church, He's writing to the church. Look what he says, verse 1. Oh, no, not verse 1. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? He's talking to the church, and apparently within the church, there are some people who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, he says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then your faith is in vain. Like, these are people that profess faith. These are people that are within the church. And apparently within the church, there were some people that were probably teaching that, that there was no future resurrection for the people that have passed away. And no one really knows what that's about. But there was this group of people within the church that didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, I think for most of us, like, you know, we've got 2,000 years of tradition to lean on, and so we can just say he's risen indeed and not really engage it and, and, like, act as if we believe in the resurrection. But I think that there's, I think it's really, really easy, and it's really, really important that we're reminded of these things. Because I think one of the things that Paul's, like, speaking to here as he's speaking to the church is that it's very easy for those who profess Christ and who have faith and who are part of the church to live as if the resurrection isn't true. Because if the resurrection is true, it should like radically transform everything. Let me illustrate how, how we can maybe determine this. Um, the Apostle Paul taught, is kind of raising this question about if the dead aren't raised, like look at verse 30. Chapter 15, verse 30. Skip ahead a few verses. Paul says this. Why are we in danger every hour? Verse 31. I protest, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Verse 32. If I, from human motives, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What Paul says is really, really interesting. He, he, he brings up these three things about himself. Why am I in danger every hour? Like this life that I've like of following Christ that I began when I saw the risen Lord, when he appeared to me and, and called me by his grace is a life where I take risks for his purposes and for his kingdom, and I'm in danger every hour. Why do I die daily? He then says, like, this life of following Christ is a life of following Christ. He laid his life down for the sake of others, and if the resurrection is true, it doesn't really make sense for me to, like, be laying my life down for my wife or for my children or for my neighbors or for, like, my fellow church members and 
and sacrificing. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What he's saying there is like, if there is no resurrection of the dead, the only thing that makes sense is just to eat and drink and enjoy like the blessings that this world has to offer. So it's kind of like we got like this, this gauge here. Like on this side you have, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. These, this life that we have, we might as well just enjoy it as much as we can because this is all that we have. And then the other life is the life that Paul lived. We'll use him as the example. I mean, ultimately, Jesus is the example, but I'm going to cut you guys some slack this morning. We'll just go with Paul. Why is he in danger every hour? He's taking these radical risks for the sake of, like, the kingdom and purposes of God. Why does he die daily? I think there's three things he said. Wasn't there something else I'm leaving off? Oh, yeah, like, why did I fight with wild beasts at Ephesus? Whatever that's all about, like... I don't want to do that. So you got Paul on this side of things who says, I'm going to radically take risks for God's kingdom. I'm going to lay my life down for his purposes, um, even if it means that I encounter danger and have to fight wild beasts. You know, maybe, we, maybe we should all just stand up and move to which side of the room you think more characterizes your own life. Too big. You probably tip the building over. But <laughs> which is true, though? Like, which creed do you believe? Do you believe? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's just like try to try to live in the comforts and pleasures and pursuits of this age that make me successful and that make people think I'm doing okay, that make me secure. Or the words of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says this in some of the same language that Paul spoke about. It's in Luke. I've got it up on the screen. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What Paul is telling us that if, is that if we really believe in the resurrection, we're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus goes on and then talks about the future judgment when he returns and all of the angels. And, but do we really believe that the path of discipleship is denying ourselves, taking up our cross, dying daily, following him, and losing our life for Christ's sake is how we'll find it? The person that believes in the resurrection clings to that creed. The person that doesn't believe in the resurrection believes that let's just eat and drink and like amass our life here and make it as comfortable as we can and enjoyable as we can. You know, I think that if the Spirit's like bringing any conviction on you like through this, like if there are some things in your life that have seized your affections more than the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that that capture your, like, focus and in, in an unhealthy way. Like, we have life to live. But, like, and I just want to encourage you, like, confess those things to the Lord and just ask him to, ask him to, like, show you where he wants you to, like, step next to follow him on this path of, like, risk-taking, life-denying um, pursuit of him. You know, a lot of people think that 
like Christianity is just about like, uh, like, like being the best person I can be or being the most moral person I can be or like none of that requires like the death and resurrection of Jesus. What we believe requires the death and resurrection of Jesus because we need him to give us this new life that causes us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength so we follow him even if like it costs us everything. You know, and if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, know this, like there is life in him that you can't even imagine both today and, and ultimately to come. It's not like your best life now. That's the only life that really matters. And unless you want death to keep its grip around your throat, like you need to receive this gospel message that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's where Paul takes us next. These things are true. This isn't falsehood. You know, he, he, he's, and he knows it because he saw the risen Lord. That's what we saw in verses like 9 through 9 and 10. He saw the risen Lord, and when he saw the risen Lord, it transformed everything so that he was willing to pursue all of those things, that, that risk and the, the denying himself and, and fighting wild beasts. Look what he says in verse, starting in verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. You know, what he says there is that Jesus Christ is the first fruits. And, and the first fruits was this kind of expression to describe the first like bit of the harvest that you bring in. As your, whole field, as your fields are out there, as they're all coming to maturity, that first bit that you're able to pick and enjoy, that's the first fruits. And the first fruits are this taste and this promise of what's to come. What he says is Jesus Christ has been raised and he's the first fruits, like, we can look back and say, oh, there's this taste and this promise of the future resurrection that we get to participate in because of his death and resurrection. And then he says this, for since by a man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits after those the, the, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. What he's saying is this, and this is, I just love this. He says, for, for just as, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Like Paul's giving us the boundaries of death. Like he speaks about his beginning in Adam all die. Like death wasn't always the way it was supposed to be. Adam brought that in. So also in Christ, everyone shall be made alive like Jesus Christ like anchors down and like draws a line and ends it here. It's like Adam in disobedience to God wandered, wandered into the, the ocean of the curse of, of death over this world and wandered into its depths as it just like, and, and under its oppressive like weight. And every generation born after Adam is born under that same curse, under the crushing weight of death until Jesus Christ like, perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father, died in our place, and he emerged out the other side of the tomb onto the other beach where death has come to an end. It has lost its power. I think, like, I, I, I didn't know they were going to do that responsive reading. Was that from Every Moment Holy? Like the, yeah, 
I'm actually going to quote the end of that because you didn't do the whole thing, right? Where, who said yes? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually going to quote the end of it. Like, uh, um, like, I love this expression. Look what it says. That responsive reading we read was, was the beginning part of this. The powers of darkness sought to swallow you in death's black waters, O Christ. But going under that flood, you drank death down like a river. You drank death's reservoir dry. All praise to you, Lord Christ. He goes on, you swallowed death for us, and by that act of willing sacrifice, you pushed death back upon itself like the last lapping wave at the turning of the tide, the high water mark now fading as death's dominion ebbs out for all time, its power to terrorize God's people forever destroyed by God's own passage through it. Now that language that death's high water mark is now past. That's what Paul's saying when Jesus Christ is the first fruits. Now there's this future resurrection coming. In fact, um, look what it says. Look what he goes on, um, starting in verse, verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ that is coming, like he's going to return, he's going to resurrect his people, and then comes the end. When he delivers up the kingdom, to the, the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Like, did you hear that? Christ is going to abolish all rule, all authority, all power, and all of his enemies by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. Which means that every, like, malevolent power that's in this world, every oppressive power, every like harmful like effect that's caused by them, every like rule that rises up against that's that's all that's good and right and true is going to be brought to an end. Like death's dominion is being brought down. And then he says this verse 28 or start at verse 27. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> verse 26. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. The death of death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he sends all things are in subjection, it's evident that he has accepted those who, are, who have put all things in subjection to him. And it, will, it just goes on how everything is under Christ but the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know why our translators translate the way it is, but that phrase will be, which is, sounds future in our, in our Bibles, is actually present tense. The last enemy that is being abolished is death. Like, because of the resurrection of the dead, because Christ is bringing all enemies under his feet, like, death is in the process of being defeated. It is being abolished. That the high water mark and the water is receding as the reign of Christ comes, and we participate in that receding of death through the proclamation of the gospel. Because people come to faith in Jesus Christ and are rescued from its snatches. Yehuda and Aaron, why don't you guys come up? But you know what we really celebrate this morning is that is that abolishment of all rule and all power and all authority. It is the and that everything is brought under the reign, the good and gracious reign of the king. 
And like I said before, like if, if we really believe that, it should change, like it should have some a radical impact on our life. In fact, I, as I was reflecting on my own art, I was asking myself the question, like if, if you just took away the resurrection and the, like how much of my life really does reflect like this radical commitment to follow Jesus no matter what because he's overthrown death and he's bringing all things under his rule. You know, there's some application that Paul makes at the end of 1 Corinthians, but, and I'll, I'll save that for a, in our, for a benediction um, towards the end of the service here. But for right now, let me just turn it over to them. Let's sing about like the abolishment of death um, and praise the Lord. Please stand so we can sing together. You guys can stay standing unless you need to sit down. But 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul ends the chapter this way, and I'm going to read verses 50 through 58. You can follow along. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I got this taunt, like, on the football field of life, right? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? And he goes on, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the, here's the application. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord.